Oh, Kevin, I'm tired. <laughs> my voice is tired. Well, we had uh, a lot of worship this weekend, and praising the name of God, and a lot of preaching and teaching, and a lot of fellowshipping, and it was a phenomenal weekend. I just want to say uh, thank you to Gabe Gaspora for organizing our men's. Uh, go ahead and he gave us a little mini conference and did all the organizing and all the and all the work on that. And we just sure had an enjoyable time. Um, I know I got to know some of you men even better and just being challenged like from God's word. Too. In this picture, yeah, he looks swamped. Uh, well, there's some good-looking people in here and there. Come on, Rasmussen. Hey, Steve. who's that guy with the beard? Who's that guy? Oh, whoa. What are you doing there, Drew? That's that's my normal face, Kevin. I, I'm not doing anything different. What's than that I, face mean? Like, That means that Steve is spreading some truth, and I'm like, yes, I like yeah. this. <laughs> Preach it, Steve Lee. Preach that's it. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, look at you. Checking your phone while you're <laughs> preaching. <laughs> no, I was re- just kidding. <laughs> I was reading stats. I know, I know. <laughs> it was really good, actually. <clears throat> Do you remember any of those stats off the top of your head? Yes. Um, when only the mom goes to church and dad does not go to church, only one in 50 children will grow up to go to church in their Crazy. adult years. One in 52%. However, if only the dad goes to church and mom doesn't, or if dad and mom both go, you end up with either uh, between 50% and 67% mm. of children that go to church as adults. So there's something about uh, the example of a man in a home that translates to those children as far as their love for Jesus and, and the church. I, was, I just found that staggering uh, to learn that. Uh, again, if you are a mom that goes to church without your husband, I want you to be encouraged and know that God is the God that does miraculous things. And you need to continue to lead in your home in spiritual ways. But um, just know that that us men, we have got a, a real responsibility to bear in that respect. It was a great weekend. It was. A great time of, of worshiping, worshiping together, fellowshipping together with men who are like-minded. And for the women in the church, you, you have men who want to lead and they want to step up and they want to be men of action. And that's what we challenge them with this weekend. And so be encouraged as a church body that your men are wanting to be that. Um, so that, that's a, that's a big deal because in today's Christian world, we see that less and less. Um, well, I think the statistics too, uh, we've got about a 60% versus 40%, uh, women who go to church versus men. The women are whooping us. Women are praying more. Women are reading the Bible more. Women are interested in spiritual things more in the church. So uh, we do have a great vacuum of, of men and a need for us to take that seriously because women are out serving us, out praying us, out spiritualizing us in every way, and, and it shouldn't be that way, I don't think. We didn't really plan it this way, but it kind of, I mean, obviously in God's providence, it, it works God out. God planned it this way. But this whole entire weekend has that theme of, of action. We're to see from our text today, again, the, the call to, is to, a call to action, uh, to be um, disciples of Jesus. And, and we're going to see kind of what that looks like by how Jesus calls his first disciples um, to come and follow him. Yeah, Jesus really starts out his ministry with a bang, yep. with, with calling out four people. 
Um, and also with kind of this, uh, we'll call it a press release of, of Jesus starting his ministry. Now, the beginning of, of his ministry is important, and, and what John Mark emphasizes in this, in this book is important. Um, but it's interesting because we did note even last week that the beginnings of each of the Gospels kind of has a different place where they start and different styles, different audiences. If you, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to, to watch or listen to that sermon online because it will give you a lot of that background. Then so we, if you're, we kind of talked about the difference of the Gospels, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're a visual learner, we, we found something for you, for those people that uh, need a visual. visual aid. I know I do. We got Matthew. Before I begin, he says, let me uh, give you the genealogy of Jesus so you know, you know, he's a real person and, and he came through the lines of these people in Israel history, yeah. So Luke says, before I begin, let me tell you the whole backstory that led up to all of this, where we find ourselves right now. John, before I begin, let me explain why it's important to believe Jesus is the Son of God. He was there since eternity past. And, and he, then Mark. And he got Mark, I love it. Bam! Let's get down to business. Let's get down to business. There you go. What is that? Come on. That's a song? People. I was thinking of a Roby. Who does not know that? I was thinking of a Roby Duke song from the 80s. Anyone know? Does that Ro- look Roby like Duke? Roby Duke? No. Nobody knows Roby Duke. Yes! He was a very, very small Christian singer. Nobody knew him. That's Mulan. Mulan? But, yeah. See, my kids were gone, but they were, they were past Disney movies when Mulan came out. You so are never that. too old for Disney, Kevin. Yeah, that's what Is that weird not true? people say. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm too old for Disney. Don't let Mark hear you say that. I know. <laughs> he would crucify he me. He would crucify you. <laughs> okay, you're never All too right. old for Disney. Mark 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in verses 14 to 20 today. Um, you can follow along on the screen. We do have some ta- uh, Bibles on the, the table back there. You can grab one of those, take it as a gift um, from us to you, and uh, you can follow along in there as well. So uh, let's start out here, verse 14, Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, I feel like that escalated pretty quickly. Yeah. It really that, did. that happened really well, fast. This is Mark. Now action, after, yeah. action, action. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So two different scholars I read this week, they both referred to this as Jesus' press conference, his big, uh, I got a big announcement to make here. It's the beginning of the ministry. These two verses right here, um, Mark provides the time and the place in verse 14, which is actually pretty unique for the writer. John Mark, as a writer, doesn't give times and places very often. So when he does, we should kind of say, hey, there's, there seems to be a purpose here. Um, so we're going we're to kind of scrutinize these verses a little bit, try to figure out what we can get out of them. So he tells us John was arrested. Yeah, this is John the Baptist. So there seems to be some, maybe some type of gap between the end of verse 13 and the beginning of, of 14 here. We're not sure maybe how much time passed between those two verses. Um, but it does seem significant that John's ministry, he, what he was called to do was to go before Jesus and to kind of pave the way for Jesus to come behind him. And so now that it looks like John's ministry has ended, and we'll, spoiler alert, we'll get to that and how it is finally finished. Um, it's time for Jesus to come and to fully uh, come to the forefront and be uh, that man who is proclaiming the gospel of God. Amen. So that, yeah, so that, 
that is apparently the, the, the thing that needs to happen for Jesus to come onto the scene here. And so let's talk setting. Um, previously, back in verse 9, we had Jesus coming from Galilee, Galilee, Jesus from Galilee, going out to John, who had been baptizing in the wilderness. Now, this was in the uh, kind of the, the whole Judea region. Um, now, Matthew 14 tells us that while John was arrested, um, we kind of get why in a couple other verses, and we'll talk again later about it. Essentially, he, he didn't approve, um, and neither should we, of Herod Antipas, who had uh, married his brother's wife. And so there was this kind of adulterous thing going on, and he called it out a sin, and, and Herod's like, up yours, and you're under arrest. Uh, he was still uh, too afraid of the people to kill them. Well, we'll find out about how he dies in a little bit. Anyway, so he had come from Galilee, Jesus, to Judea. He'd been baptized by John. Something goes on with John. John's arrested. I think he goes elsewhere and is imprisoned elsewhere for a season. And um, now that his fate is sealed, uh, Jesus goes from that Galilee area now, or from that Judea area now, back to Galilee. It's interesting because you have John and then you have Jesus and the example that both of them set with their lives as they're here on earth, we see right off the bat that it's, um, that the cost of discipleship is great. Um, it, it's going to, uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling this for you. It's going to cost John his life and ultimately it costs Jesus his life as well because he gives his life for us. And so this call, this, um, command that Jesus is giving to the disciples that we're going to see here, that, that call to come follow me, it's not a flippant, like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. No, it is a great cost, and we'll see why it is such a great cost to some of these disciples as Jesus calls them and they follow him. I think it's really important for us to, to constantly keep that in mind, too, because there are uh, famous preachers and churches, uh, even in our county, that preach a health a uh, wealth and a prosperity doctrine, which is very much not what we see in Scripture. Jesus calls us to a costly discipleship. Now, salvation is free because Jesus Christ paid the whole cost. Discipleship, which is the next step, is entirely costly. That part is where we get to say thank you for the free gift of salvation in a, in a costly way. So we've got to be really cautious of anybody, uh, any teacher, any church that says, if you have enough faith, God's going to give you health and prosperity and those things. That's not what Scripture says, and that's false gospel. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're kind of coming back to the setting. Jesus returns to Galilee from, from Judea, and he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, that choice is, is pretty significant. I mean, it's... it's yeah, Galilee's not... It's like, you know, Shelton or something. It, oh, it's easy. <laughs> easy. It's like Gorst. In, in, well, you'd have to be from my county. It's not it's like... It's like Chehalis. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're going to make a lot of people angry. What if someone's <laughs> visiting from those places? What? Lakewood. It, it's I not don't know. How, hey, easy now. You're getting close to home. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Stillicum. Um, it's no Stillicum, right? But... <laughs> Neither is Jerusalem. So here you have Jesus choose to come from Jer- Jerusalem, which is... That's the religious center. That's where That's everyone, where the big dogs yeah, are. Yeah, that's where, you know, the rich people live, where everybody is. And he chooses to come back to Galilee, where there, there's not much going on. But this is where his ministry really sees the most success in his earthly ministry. 
Yeah, and then it's where uh, where Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he he gathers the dispersed. He gathers his his formerly defeated followers, recommissioning them for ministry. Um, so we've got this depiction of Galilee, and and those of us, and I'll put myself in there from Gorst. You know, those of us from a town that's like not really that impressive and with a pedigree that maybe isn't all that impressive and and not all the schooling and not all the fancy letters after the name. God says, no, I elevate those that have a faith and are willing to come and step up into a costly discipleship. That's who I elevate. I elevate those who make themselves like a child and have the faith of a child, not those that puff themselves up with so much knowledge that they think they have arrived. And that they have somehow earned their way into a position of power and respect and authority in the kingdom of God from their pedigree. That's not who God elevates. So it's awesome to see Jerusalem kind of depicted as this faithless place, this place uh, that wouldn't follow. And, and little insignificant Galilee, for those of us who know how insignificant we feel quite often, God uses Galilee. And I think that's why Jesus was such a controversial historical figure. Oh, yeah. Because it was so contrary to culture, to belief, yeah. to everything. Yeah. And, and that's why he was, was so controversial. You know, he comes and he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Yep. And it, it doesn't simply mean, you know, good news about God. No, it means that he, he is proclaiming good news about himself because yeah. he was the gospel. Jesus was the good news. He was the sinless, spotless lamb coming to uh, provide a way for dirty sinners like us to have hope. And that's why Jesus is proclaiming the good news, which is himself. Yeah, he wasn't just proclaiming the gospel. He was the gospel himself. So here's the summary of Jesus' message. This is just a, a quick little statement. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is how John Mark kind of summarizes the message that Jesus brought. You know, pretty big deal to try to unpack, you know, three, three and a half years of Jesus preaching and, and squeeze it all into one little message here, but that's what he does. So we do feel the need to, to take a moment to unpack this verse, verse 15, to try to figure out if we can understand exactly what this, this press release means. Uh, let's start out with the, the term, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. So in history, we see what we call God's redemptive plan or his redemptive history, how he was going to buy back his people. Because as a creation, we had sinned and we'd fall short of the glory of God. And so we were separated from him. And so God in his love said, I have a plan in how to bring my people back into relationship with me. That plan didn't happen overnight. It happened over hundreds and even thousands of years. So when he says the time is fulfilled, this is huge, especially for the Israelite who'd been taught this his whole life. The one, she, she knew exactly that there was a Messiah coming. The Israelite would be like, the time is fulfilled? Holy cow, this is big. So him, him saying that, that it's go time, this is a big deal in his message. He also says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm. So you think about that. The world was created by God but it was also created for God. So the, the kingdom of God really is everything we it's, see. It's everything we see. And so if we think about that, our enjoyment or lack thereof on earth and in our life kind of depends on if we truly believe that statement, mm. that the kingdom of God 
that that the world was created by God and, and for God. So when we twist that belief, when we try to make the world or, or our lives about me, about my wants, about my desires, about, you know, my dreams, mm. then we put ourselves in a, a position to where we will always be dissatisfied. We will always be disappointed in life. We will always be frustrated in life. But if we truly believe that my life and this world was created for, for, for God, not for me, then we begin to be able to handle some of those things that come into our lives that are not about us, mm. that are about others. So there's a lot of uh, scriptural truths that we call already not yet truths because there's an aspect of them that are true already, but there's also an aspect that will become true. Um, so when Jesus even says the kingdom of God is at hand, that is an already not yet statement. He's saying the kingdom of God, the way it was supposed to be, where everything in creation recognizes that it's by God, for God, and it's about God, um, that is now at hand. The process by which God brings everything together is at hand. So it's close, it's near, is the way he's saying that. Now, when the eschaton comes, when the end time comes, and, and we finally get new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth, it'll be fulfilled to an even greater extent. Uh, but already, the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, what's really cool about the way he uses the word at hand or, or is near is it means dual things. It's near as in, um, in the timeline sense, but also it's near as in a proximity sense. Jesus was near. The word, uh, my, one of my favorite names for Jesus is Emmanuel, with, which means God with us. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand because that's me, and I'm near you now. So, and, and it's near. So that statement is, is huge. And then he tells us how we should respond to the time being fulfilled and the kingdom being at hand. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. So the arrival of, of God's kingdom, it really demands a change in our thinking, the way that we believe, the way that we talk. So we kind of talked about this uh, concept of repentance last week because John was, uh, baptism was that of repentance as well. Um, it's really a change of mind, a complete change of, of will. And so when we're confronted with the reality of God, mankind, and sin— we have to choose to reject our flesh way of thinking and, and acting and, and turn to God's way of, of thinking. Yeah, it's no longer thinking my sin's not that big of a deal it, because it is that big of a deal. It's no longer thinking I can do enough good things to earn favor and, and make up for all those bad things because I can't. I can't do those things. I can't do anything of myself. I'm helpless and I'm depraved and I change my thinking about that and then I change my thinking about God. And I go, wait a second. He's the one that will rescue me. He's the one that loves me. He's the one I need to, to call upon. So the repentance um, is connected to the second thing in a really beautiful way. Because I'm turning from my old way of thinking to belief. And I, that's what, you know, he says repent and believe. So, mm-hmm. you know, both of those verbs in this verse here point to a response to God. You know, those, those verbs are present imperatives, if you will, in this sentence structure. Now, that is good English and Greek study. What, is, yes. what does a present imperative mean, Drew? I don't know. But what it means yes, is you do. <laughs> that we're commanded to live in a constant state of repentance, ah. a constant state of 
belief. That's what Mark is saying here in using these words the way that he has in the sentence structure. So this king, mm-hmm. the Messiah, who has come to earth, he's arrived, and he demands that we come follow him and um, we choose to radically obey him, which goes against everything in our human sinful nature that we have. But when we see the kingdom of God, when we see Jesus Christ, we see God for who he is, the only appropriate response is to repent and to believe. So we're going to see the response now. And that was kind of the global, the big picture. Again, Jesus' whole message summarized. Now let's see how it works for the individual. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So he saw and he said. So Jesus, is essentially, he's looking for people that are going to latch on to the gospel. They're going to latch on to the gospel that he is proclaiming to them in his earthly ministry. Now, it's special in Mark's gospel that the very first thing that we see Jesus doing is not this crazy uh, sermon or crazy miracle that we see throughout the, you know, the different gospels. But here in Mark, the very first thing that Jesus does is engage in relationships with people. Relationships built on grace? I think so. Hmm. So it, it, you here you have him calling the first of his 12 disciples. And so... First and second. First and second. Um, but God is a God, and uh, that's what I think shows us here, that God is a God of relationships. He cares about us. He wants a relationship with us. We look at Jesus' earthly ministry, and we see how he prioritizes people um, all throughout his ministry. But right off the bat here in Mark... He shows us that he is prioritizing people. So Jesus calls these two men to become his disciples. Uh, the the rabbi disciple relationship was one that would have been familiar in the in the Jewish community. That's what Jesus is really calling these guys to. And that relationship between the rabbi and the disciple was it was a relationship, like you said, it was true fellowship. Um, and so what we see in in this call. Um, one of the one of the scholars I read, Edwards, says it's not an exaggeration to say that this is the seeds of the Christian church. Literally, right here in the very first act of Jesus' public ministry, this is the seeds of the Christian church of fellowship and of communion and of relationship. So, again, very very um, epic beginning to his his career and ministry. So here you have Jesus again going against the grain it, yep. in that culture the student really sought out the rabbi, the the teacher, to learn from them, to learn the law. And they weren't, you know, loyal necessarily to or dedicated to the the rabbi. They were dedicated to learning the law. But they sought out the rabbi. Here you have Jesus, the Messiah, the king, who's seeking others, who's seeking students to come follow him. And even more so, they are going to be dedicated to him, not the law. So, again, contrary and, to and the culture. And the setting. Yep. It's out in Galilee in one of these fishermen places. It, it, it's not in the religious center with all the religious elite being, you know, you come to me, you come to me. Jesus goes to them. So there's a whole lot of ways that this is a familiar discipleship call, but a whole lot of ways, like you said, Jesus is turning on its head. Um, the other thing about it is it's a grace call. What... Again, what would normally happen is if if I wanted a famous rabbi to teach me, I would go find him and I would really put on, you know, my best suit and tie, 
a robe and sandals in that time, and I would, I would, I would have to impress them. I would have to have done some things and learned some things. I'd have to be someone or be connected. Yeah, there's all these prerequisites, and, and I would have to hope that that rabbi was going to take me. But what we have here is a grace call. He doesn't say, clean yourselves up. Show me, show me that you're worth it. Show me that you're capable and worthy, and then maybe I'll take you as my student. He says, come as you are, and I will make you into something. Come as you are, let me make you into something. Even our discipleship is by the grace and the empowering of God himself because I can't do it on my own. I love that it's so, so a parallel to our call. So Jesus says, follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, at first glance, this is pretty witty. You're like, Jesus, well played. This is, this is good. They're fishermen. I want to make you fishers of men. Um, but if you look at this phrase a little bit deeper, um, you see that it's not just a play on words here. Jesus has a real call to them. And it's not unique, actually. It's not. It's not the first time it's been used by God. Because if we rewind back to the Old Testament, we see that, God has often used fishing for people. And we see that in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos. They all talk about how God is going to send men to fish for uh, other men, to bring in those who have sinned against God for his divine judgment. Yeah, so judgment is the key in every other time it's used. Not just this wonderful like analogy of, hey, we're going to be evangelists together. We're going to fish for men and not fish. It's going to be great. No, there's, there's judgment. Um, the fact that God is right and true and holy, and so he must judge sin, is part of his character. It's as much a part of his character as his love and his grace and his mercy. We must never divorce those two because they are all him. It's him. It's his character. We, We can't separate those things out. So even in this call to evangelism, we have to realize that there are times when somebody will reject Jesus Christ and now the fishing is for destruction. Now the fishing is for judgment. And that may seem harsh, but it's not. Because sin is sin is sin. And it deserves punishment. So kind of an interesting thing to think about the fact that God fishing for men back in the day was, was not a good sign. If he was fishing for men, somebody was going down. <laughs> yeah. So Jesus says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Verse 18 Immediately, again, if you were here last week, we pointed out immediately is one of the important words, theme words that you'll John see. John Mark's favorites. See throughout the book of Mark. So immediately they fo- uh, left their nets and followed him. And going a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, love that name, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately, again, immediately, <laughs> he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So this is kind of the response to our last couple verses um, that they did. These first two people who were called, these first two disciples, they immediately left their nets. Um, We don't know if this is the very first time Jesus talked to them. We kind of suspect it might not because of some other passages in John and things like this. This might be the second meeting um, where where Jesus met um, uh, Peter and uh, now I'm losing it. It was Simon and Andrew. Andrew. My brain went fart. All I could see was James and John on the screen. Uh, But we don't know if this is the first meeting. It's possible. And the first meeting just records slightly different things in each of these books. And so these men 
upon the very first time they meet Jesus, they're like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll follow you, which is insane. It's, it's so crazy to me. Like, or, but even if it was like three days or three weeks, which some other scholars say, that's me. still insane. <laughs> yeah. You've known this guy for how long, and you immediately just leave everything? Yeah, I, I mean, you look at um, John and James mm-hmm. and what they, I mean, they left everything. And the same with Simon and Andrew. The, these were fishermen. They had jobs. They had families. They, they, their father, Zebedee, you know, what the culture was, once you got older, the, the brothers, the, the sons were to stay and, and help the dad and the dad would oversee. And so here you have them, they're leaving everything. They're leaving their lucrative job, their homes, their families, their friends. And they answer this costly call to discipleship that Jesus gives them. The foundation of their lives was being replaced in every aspect. And that's the truth for us today too. And a lot of times we think, um, oh, this is so radical. This is so insane. But for you and I as well, the, the call of Jesus to actually follow him in discipleship means a complete 180. Um, the, the, your security that you found in other things previously, whether it's your job or your bank account or, or the relationships that you have or what other people think about you, that's all gone. And now we find all of us our security and all of our hope in Jesus Christ. Um, but the kingdom was at hand. And, and so these guys left everything to follow him. And the, the reality is that you are faced with the kingdom as well right now. And it's, it is no less radical a call. And it's no less important for you and I to put ourselves in the place and say, you know what? No matter what it is, if God asked me to leave it, I could do it. And I'd follow him. No matter what it is. Now, it, it, for them... You know, it could have been, no, fishing's too important to me. To the rich young ruler, it was, it was the money was too important to him. And so Jesus said, how about you give all your stuff to the poor and then follow me? He couldn't do it. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is, maybe even for me. But if God were to say, give this up or stop doing this or drop this and come over here, could you say yes? This is an important question to ask. That's a tough question. And so we have the examples of these four disciples who immediately leave what they're doing, leave their jobs, leave their family, and say, I like what this guy is saying. I believe him to be the true son of God. And they follow him. Uh, They answer that call to come follow me. Um, I think one thing we can know from, you know, the stories that we see here in our text today is that these men, like I, I kind of just mentioned, recognized who Jesus was. They recognized that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and they knew what he was saying was different. They recognized his worth. Yep. That he's worth following, that he's worth giving everything up to. Imagine being in the shoes of Zebedee. <laughs> you said you liked the name, and I hope um, when the new Gafkin is born, Maybe Zebedee is at least on the list, Laura. I think. Good old Zeb. We you call know? him Badee for short. Or Badee. Yeah. Badee, 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 Badee. Well, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it today. But imagine being Zebedee and having to say, wait a second, what? You know, I didn't get no two weeks notice from my own sons. And they just picked up and left. In some ways, too, there might be a mini application for us to say as parents, if God has a plan for our children that maybe doesn't match what we're hoping it would be 
if God allows things to happen to our children that we think, oh, I don't know that I want that to happen to my child. If God geographically calls one of my children to do missions or, or ministry or something in an area, and I'm like, I don't want them to be in that area that we do, like Zebedee did, need to let go and say, God cares more about my child than even I do, and I trust my children in the hands of my Heavenly Father. So I think there's a wonderful application uh, kind of hidden in the cracks there. Bottom line is that we're called by God to action. Um, the, the kind of fishing that they were doing, it, it, it's not exactly what you're envisioning in your head. I know what you're thinking, because it's what I was thinking. I was thinking of the, the fishing line and, and, and reeling it in and maybe waiting for long amounts of time. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, I hated fishing the first couple times I went because it took so long. And we barely caught anything, and it was just frustrating and, and boring. I'm so bored, Dad. Um, this is a very different occupation than that. Uh, this occupation was dangerous and labor-intensive. It was uh, a large circular net um, from 10 to even 15 to maybe 20 feet with heavy weights all around the outside. And you would have to lift this heavy net and hurl it out over the water in an area where you thought fish were. And those weights that were along the outside would cause it to sink down, trapping the fish. And then you would either dive down or reach down, depending on how deep in the water you were. Yeah, you were in the water most of the time. Sometimes it was from boats, but, but the scholars believe that this was them fishing from shore, hip deep or deeper in water. You'd plunge down there and you'd have to get those weights wrapped up and around and get the weights with the fish up out of the water and either onto a board or onto shore to get your catch. And sometimes you didn't catch much like me as a kid and it was boring and there was just not much return sometimes on Sometimes you got your, your teeth work. knocked out. I mean... <gasps> it happens. That happened Fishing to Drew. is dangerous. <laughs> you should have seen him with only one tooth and the other one broken. He looked like a, you looked like you were from Gorst, actually. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I don't even know what Gorst is. It's, I, I have pictures. It's an awful, see. awful town. Just believe me. So it's, it was a strenuous, it was a, a hard job. It was not for the faint of heart. And so there's this beautiful imagery of what Jesus calls us to as disciples as well. Because mm-hmm. being a disciple of God is costly. It is tiring. It is frustrating. It is painful. There's long hours involved. There's um, awkward situations. There's living a life that is so contrary to our culture today that you don't fit in, or at least you feel that way. And, and so the the picture that we get of these fishermen being called and answering the call and leaving everything is such a great example of what we are called to today as well, to be disciples, um, to answer the call to action as we talked about at the beginning. And I think we need to be excited for that. Excited uh, to learn to be men and women of, of stamina and of, of energy, of, of faith and tenacity, even in the face of opposition, even the, in the face of, uh, of sharing my faith so many times and never having anyone believe and, and being rejected and all those times of things, this stick to that we need as Christians. We should be excited for that kind of task, for the adventure that God is calling us to, for this call to action. Because you and I, we weren't created uh, 
I think we were created like like a bungee cord. You guys like bungee cords? I could play with the bungee cord all day long. I don't know why. A bungee cord um, in its normal state is just kind of flippy and floppy and flaccid and weak, and it's kind of boring. When you really get the fun with the bungee cord is when you stretch that bad boy out. There is a whole lot of energy that is actually stored in a bungee cord, but you don't see the energy. You don't see the force until you get stretched out. Then it's doing its job. Then there's energy. Now there's life. Now there's vibrancy there. And you and I were created not to be the little bungee cord, just floppy and flaccid and weak. We were created with a purpose to be stretched. And it's when we're truly stretched that the energy and the vibrancy of life, the purpose of the kingdom of God is alive in you and me. And the Christian life gets fun and it gets interesting. And yeah, it's hard. But some of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life were hard. They felt amazing when they were done. They they were were the most thrilling things. They're the stories I tell. They're the person I want to be. I don't ever tell people stories about how I sat around one time being lazy. Not really that exciting. We tell stories about our adventures, about our trials, about our travails. And this is the life that God has for the disciple. He's calling us, but he's calling us to action. Accept that call.